Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to David Brudrick in Durban, South Africa about his local work and about shaping the lives and ministries of movement leaders. Uh, we started a gathering, what we call a gathering in um, Centurion in um, South Africa. And it was a gathering of believers that were reaching out and, and sort of trying to see movements. And there was a team involved, and they're still going after, I think it's probably 12 years now. And a young guy, a young family from Zambia joined us. And they began to learn. And they were working in the inner city uh, area called Sunnyside, and there were a lot of foreigners there, and so they began to uh, form these uh, football or soccer uh, tournaments where different nations, different nationalities were playing against each other, and so they called it the League of Nations, mm-hmm. and uh, they had these different people playing, and they used this as a way of accessing and beginning to learn how to make disciples, start new groups, start new, plant new um, expressions of church. Anyway, they were part of us for some time, and then eventually uh, uh, some of our other leaders, some of the people around South Africa, they were exposed to, trained them, and then they went back to Zambia through a pretty uh, difficult set of circumstances. The whole family ended back in, in Zambia. Well, they connected with some people there, and it's just been amazing to see uh, the fire of God move across uh, the Zambia, uh, the country. And uh, we're basically seeing it all over Zambia, these disciple-making groups starting up in in prisons. I I think they've got a a, a move amongst people that live in the swamps. Uh, They've got, uh, you know, in different expressions, different places. We're seeing people come to Christ, discover who he is, uh, form new expressions of church, and it's just spreading like like wildfire. And so I began to see this uh, real potential for people spending time with you. And uh, out of that going, you know, kind of what Paul does in Ephesus, you know, he spends time with his leaders and then this move of God erupts uh, across all of Asia. And uh, so we actually relocated. We relocated to uh, Durban. We were previously in Johannesburg. So that's about a seven hour drive from where we were. And we uh, just trusted the Lord. The Lord provided miraculously. We bought a big house. Most people at our age downscale. Um, and, and we're, you know, empty nesters officially, but we upscaled, we bought a house that was probably four times bigger than what we were in. And we did it for the express purpose of being able to host leaders and bring them in and spend time with them, just, you know, flesh on flesh, spend time with them. A lot of these leaders are people that we're coaching remotely through zoom or online. Um, but we needed to spend intense times together. And so we've been doing this for a year, spending time with leaders and then letting them go out. And up to now, the last year has been a lot of our established leaders, leaders that are doing incredible things around the world. Um, But we are beginning to start a work here. And I'll share about that in a moment. But um, my wife and I really felt called to young adults in this Durban area. And so we have been innovating again, which is really exciting. That's my um, happy place is to be innovating. And so we've been innovating a a movement model for reaching young adults, educated, university, college age, sort of 18 to 35 young adults. 
So um, just and realize what, what's, what's the mix of of black and white and I think the terms colored in 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 Durban. What's the racial mix in, of those young people? So in, in Durban, it is uh, there are a lot of white people, very English speaking in many areas, uh, whereas a lot of the rest of the country is Afrikaans speaking. Um, there are it's Zulu. So there are a lot of Zulu people. We have a, a movement amongst the more rural Zulu um, nation here in um, the Durban area through an incredible leader called DZ. And uh, recently we had some floods here, massive floods. And I called DZ. I said, come spend a few days with us in our home and move around and see if we can serve and help and spread the gospel. And so we've been doing that. But we have that amongst the rural Zulu um, folk. And then uh, there's a large, what we call Indian population in South Africa. They're basically from India. Um, in fact, when I was speaking to David Watson a few years ago, he mentioned to me for the first time the largest uh, Indian, I think it's Indian or Bujapuri, I'm not sure, but the largest, I think it's the largest Indian population outside of India lives here in the Durban area. Mm. And uh, so there's a very, very large Indian population here. Um, what what you would call in South Africa and, and you know around the world this term is it can be offensive when you call people colored but in South Africa that's a term that they own and, and that's who they are um, and and so the colored sort of grouping on a lot more south and sort of in Cape Town area. Okay, and so what what are you learning as you sort of step out there in Durban? In the Durban area. You know, as we as we train people in the in the cities in the urban areas, uh, one of the things that we train them on is the, the incredible power of focus. Uh, if you want to see movements happen, then movements move the same way everything else moves. Good news, bad news, fake news move the same way. They move through natural social networks. Um, so one person tells another person tells another person. That's the ideal of movements. And so. Um, We've got to identify those natural social networks. What is where, where where is the potential for the gospel to move? Uh, and in an urban area where people have come from lots of different backgrounds and thrown into this high density environment, um, it, you can almost think that it's just one big village. In other words, everybody will speak to everybody, and the gospel will move between everybody. But that's not true. Uh, the city is highly segmented. And sometimes that's geographic, but most often that's relational. Um, and so, you know, my friends will be on the other side of the city. I don't speak to my neighbors. So the, the natural social networks run along relational lines. And so um, we, want, we want to identify where do we focus so that we can hone the way that we communicate the gospel to that particular group of people so that it gets absorbed and, and you know, the, the the gospel is a cultural, but it takes on a cultural skin. <laughs> it takes on a specific skin with a specific group of people that then doesn't communicate to the next group of people. And um, so in an urban environment, it's important to identify what we call an affinity group. Um, how do people relate to one another? Um, who are the, what are those affinity groups? And so uh, getting back to your question, Michelle and I, my wife and I, sat down for quite a long time and, and really sort of prayed and asked the Lord, uh, where do you want us to focus? Um, what is the particular focus, the particular social network, the particular affinity group that you want us to pour our lives into? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, after some time, we began to really feel that it was uh, young adults, 18 to 35, uh, educated, college, university, um, definitely um, some education. And we, God wanted us to reach that, that group of people. And that was also one of the, the, the three areas that we feel have the greatest potential for uh, continued movement in South Africa. And that was one of them. And so um, we began to pour ourselves into young adults. And as I tried all of the uh, things that I had trained and taught and used in other contexts on these young adults, I was hitting walls. It was just not working. Um, I was really getting frustrated. And so I went back to the drawing board, went back to prayer and said, God, how does the gospel communicate to this group of people? And so that's been the real excitement in my journey personally is uh, figuring out how to communicate the gospel to, to that age group in our area. And as we're, as we're describing some of those things to people in other contexts, they're going, that, that, that really will connect with people where we are too, especially the 18 to 35-year-old age group. There's so much energy. You know, sometimes we forget how young the disciples were. Example, as I was um, trying to figure out how do, I, how do I do this, I was, you know, the, the young adults around us are, um, individualistic. It's not a communal culture. Uh, that, that, that kind of grouping are very individualistic. They're all on their own. So you, what I traditionally trained was find the person of peace. Well, that's really hard because you meet people and go, do you have any friends? They go, no, I don't. <laughs> or no, I don't have permission to bring them to the table, you know, or uh, yeah, I've got some friends that I play sport with, but I can't share the gospel with them. There's no permission to do that. So the, there's all these barriers that you hit, you know, and I was really wrestling with it. And, and I, I like to innovate by doing things myself. So I uh, work in a coffee shop and I, I started going to coffee shops different coffee shops and working. And, and as I sat there and observed, I realized that so many of the people that were serving me were 18 to 35 young adults. Mm. And so I began to ask myself, what are the questions they're asking? What, what are the, you know, so, so often we come at people and present the gospel in a way that they, they're not asking the questions that we're answering. And so I began to ask, what, what are the questions they're asking? And, Probably because we, I was in restaurants and, you know, waiters and waitresses, one of the huge questions that they're asking is, what is my future? What, 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 am, I, what am I here for? What, 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 is, what does the future hold for me? And so I began to ask them. I began to, um, as they served me, I said to them, so tell me, what's the dream? What, what is it? What is what does the future look like for you? What what do you want? Is this what you want to be? Is this where you want to be? And of of course, none none of them really want to be there. And so, is this where you want to be for the rest of your life, or is there something else? And they began to share their dreams. They began to share their purpose, where where God you know wanted to take them. And um, one young girl, particularly not far from me. Uh, she just really began to connect and she uh, began to share with me what she was, what her dream was. And eventually I said, you know, to some of these young adults, uh, and it was going beyond waiters and waitresses, I said, why don't you um, make some time? And I'd love to hear some more. And we developed a, a little tool called a humble inquiry, which is basically a couple of questions that we ask 
And it's all around purpose, all around engaging people around purpose. So, you know, yeah, Steve, what I'm doing here is I'm learning practically how to engage that age group as a 50-something. You know, when I first tried, I thought, okay, maybe I must dress like them. Maybe I must have a haircut that's something like them. Maybe I must speak like them. Um, and I'm trying all these different things, but I, I found out that a 50-something-year-old guy sitting with them and saying, what's your future look like? Just was just such a connection with them. Mm. Um, anyway, we began to write curriculum and a discovery curriculum, different tools to help them figure out what their purpose was and began to take them through this journey. And just the, the joy of watching them change and transform and discover God and discover Christ and, and become Jesus followers has been absolutely amazing. And so um, we've got to the second generation. We've asked some of them to bring some of their, their uh, friends to the table. Now, the friends are being introduced to us, so it's not true second generation yet. Mm. Um, we've got to get to the point where they're doing it with their friends. Uh, we've got to get to the point where there's more of a group process. We're still doing it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, mm. But I'm enjoying the journey. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey of sitting with these young adults and talking about purpose and, and discovering that, that the conversation about purpose is a very spiritual conversation that, that leads to a conversation of who is God and who is Jesus. Uh, and, it, and it's just so much fun. And are you in the script doing discovery in the scriptures with them or what sort of sort of ways of discussing these things have you got? We did. So we, we actually um, worked with a couple of life coaches and we took some of their tools and I said to them, um, some of these tools are great. They're great for opening conversation and connecting with people. Um, some of these tools were birthed by Christians but then the gospel was sanitized out of these tools and, and they were made into secular business tools, which is, you know, is, is a travesty. And so I said, well, we, we, we want to reclaim some of these tools. So we've done that. So we, we dance between, um, we use a tool to help you figure out purpose and then we'll jump straight to um, like Psalm 30, 139. We'll talk about how you fearfully, wonderfully made that God, that you have a purpose, but God created you in this purpose. Uh, we found that going to Genesis 1 was just not a good idea because it would just result in an argument about creation and evolution. But when you go to Psalm 139, there's just something very personal about it, you know. And, and in this current culture that we're in, it's probably quite narcissistic, very self-centered. You know, Psalm 139 speaks to them. And, and, and that connection with God leads them to a journey of discovery. So, so it's both. Um, we, we, we have a couple of tools we use, and we do quite a bit of scripture discovery as well. Every time we meet, we're doing scripture discovery. David, you also talked about the move to Durban and the, the, the new home. The purpose is uh, to draw in leaders you're working with or for, for an intensive time, um, and then they go back to impact their local field. What are you learning about how God shapes the lives of leaders. Uh, probably the number one thing that I've learned about leaders over the last 30 years of ministry is leaders are incredibly lonely people. Um, le leaders really, really are lonely. Um, and they have nobody to talk to about their problems, about their struggles, about their pains, about the things that they're going through. And 
And so often what we're doing with leaders and when we're coaching them is we're talking about the stuff out there, you know, the work out there. And, and we get surprised when the leader's life caves in or collapses. And we've seen that around the world in a lot of the megachurch collapse of leaders um, around the world where there's so much focus on the work um, and no focus on the life of the leader. And um, so I think the number one thing that I've realized is leaders are incredibly lonely. Um, leaders have no outlet to uh, or no community, no safe space. And so a, a place like what we've, we've uh, developed here is can be a safe space because you've got leaders that are not directly involved in the work that you're in, in your region or your area, but at a similar level, at a similar sort of um, impact coming together. And the very first thing that we do, we're very, very careful at this. The very first thing that we do, besides spending a lot of time in prayer and the word, is to delve into, into some personal issues and uh, spend a lot of time going through what are you really, really struggling with internally? Yes, I know you're struggling to find people at peace. I know you're struggling to, you know, uh, multiply to the third generation. I know you, I, we leave all that alone. What, what's going on in here? Because mm. the, the engine for movement sits here. Mm. Um, I, I've actually seen very few, I don't think I could probably say this, I don't think I've seen any movements where a key leader is not involved in some way. Um, it, it's ordinary people multiplying the gospel through their social networks, but there's almost always some kind of catalyst, some kind of leader who remains key, who remains visionary in that mix. And, and that leader really needs care and attention because uh, we don't realize how much of the energy for movement is actually still flowing through that person. And uh, when that person uh, has some kind of uh, burnout or moral collapse or or some kind of a marriage failure or whatever it is, uh, it really, really impacts the movement. And, and I've seen movements disappear because yeah. of that kind of failure with the key leader. So we would spend quite a bit of time, besides prayer and the word, um, delving into each other's personal lives, just being honest and 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 sharing and being transparent. And, and then when it gets to the work, um, I found that uh, when you bring together strong leaders, key leaders, they really don't want to be told what to do or what to think. Um, what they want to do is to have a marketplace of ideas. They want to have a place where they can share ideas and they can learn ideas. And so we would spend quite a bit of time with whiteboards just getting capturing ideas. We put a problem up there and we go, this is a common problem we found between all of us. How are you guys solving it? What are you finding? And, and, and they begin to throw these ideas up on the board. Um, and then the third thing that we would do is we begin to look for themes or patterns. Um, and so we, what are there themes or patterns in terms of the problem, in terms of uh, the way people are solving this problem, um, some of the solutions people are coming up with? And is there some kind of a shared way that we can develop a solution to this particular problem? So, so that that's more or less what we what we do when we're together, um, and so we have um, trainers. So we have online trainers that are they're they're catalyzing movements in their own cities, but they're training globally. And so we'll bring those trainers together from from all over the world. We'll we'll bring them together and and do something like that. Uh, and then we have 
uh, different what we call affinity-based networks. So uh, in South Africa, uh, there are a lot of work emerging in the townships of South Africa now. In South Africa, township is a kind of a, a third world urban slum type of environment is the best way to describe it. And um, it's just a unique environment, very, very unique environment to anywhere else. And so we have leaders in those townships that are living there. They're, they were born there. They were raised there. They, they know that environment. And we will bring them together from all over the country. But the commonality is they're all working in the townships. The, the slang for township in South Africa is CASI. And so we call it our CASI network. Uh, and in two weeks, our CASI network is coming together here. And we'll do those kinds of exercises I described with you. Um, then we have a young adults network emerging. We have a business network emerging. And these are all affinity-based networks. And uh, when you bring together leaders that have something in common, they're trying to solve the same problem, and you take them through the kind of process that I've been describing, just so much energy gets released in the room that they take back, and, and we begin to see new work emerge. What, what's the dream that God's put on your heart? What's your purpose, David? I have come to, to know and believe that God's purpose uh, for the rest of my life is to see movements of the gospel happen in the cities of the world. And so we are incredibly focused on cities. We're focused currently on 38 cities, uh, watching these leaders emerge as catalysts in their cities is really rewarding and exciting. Uh, watching them begin to see the first lost people come to Christ, the first multiplication happen in their different cities and then raise up teams into the different affinities is extremely exciting. And so um, that's really my, my focus. That's really my purpose is to help and serve these leaders in these cities to see these movements happen. If you'd like to get in touch with David and find out more about his ministry, visit davidbrudrick.com. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.